Thank you, praise team, for drawing us in uh, to worship our faithful God in spirit and in truth this morning. And I add my good morning to those uh, in the sanctuary from the Ivanress family and those watching at home. To any visitors who found us here or online, welcome to you too. My name is Steve Winkle and I'm the director of community connections and outreach here at Ivanress Church. And thanks to the commitment and passion of those who held the position before me and the generosity of this church family, uh, lots of community connections and outreach happen from this church. So by God's grace and alongside my amazing staff and outreach team teammates, I get the very cool job of listening and learning from God and good people how to help bring the light and love of Christ to people here, the community that surrounds us, and the world beyond. Alongside that, I am also an Associate Regional Director for Young Life, overseeing five ministry areas uh, south and west of here, and blessed by great ministry teammates and opportunities there too. This morning, though, I have the privilege for the second week in a row even uh, to explore God's word with you. And for those who read the newsletter, you may have noticed my complete inability to choose catchy titles for my sermons. Last week it was an encounter with Christ, Zacchaeus. And this week it is another encounter with Christ, the Samaritan woman. Yes, I like that word encounter. It usually refers to an unplanned meeting. And that was true for both Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman we will study this morning. But for Jesus, these encounters were planned before the beginning of time. And when we explore the encounters Jesus has with people, we not only see what he is like, but we also see what he wants us to be like. Which reminds me of my favorite Max Lucado quote. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. If you're a child between the ages of 5 and 10, or if you at any time in your life have been a child between the ages of 5 and 10, I want you to think about how you ate when you were age one and how that changed by age two and how it was different by age four and how you eat today. Was there anything wrong with the way that you ate before? No. One-year-olds are supposed to drink lots of milk all day long and eat mushy cereal and mushy fruits and vegetables from a spoon that someone else is holding. But when you're four years old, or 14, or 44, what we eat for lunch and how we eat it are very different. <clears throat> We're not supposed to stay the same in the way that we eat, or in the ways that we live our faith in Christ. The difference is that once we learn to eat on our own, we keep doing it pretty much the same way. But as followers of Jesus, God calls us and helps us to keep growing the rest of our lives. In order to grow to be more like Jesus, it's not so much about growing up. It's more about growing down. And that's at least a little bit weird. In the famous Philippians 2 passage that I love where Paul tells people that their attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, he says that Jesus made himself nothing in verse 7. Using the Greek word kenosis which literally means emptying 
So did Jesus empty himself of some of his divinity, some of his complete godness, in order to be part human? No. Jesus never stopped being fully God. But when he became fully human, scholar R.C. Sproul says that Jesus emptied himself of some of the privileges, of some of the glory that go with being fully God. Picture a 10-year-old who challenges LeBron James uh, to a game of one-on-one basketball. So LeBron decides to pull his headband over his eyes, limiting his vision. He kicks off one of his shoes. He puts his right hand behind his back. Uh, and he plays the game with the overmatched 10-year-old. Is LeBron still LeBron? Yes. Has he lost any of his skill or ability to be one of the greatest athletes on the planet? No. But for a little while, he has simply chosen to set aside some of the privileges that make him such a great basketball player. So when Paul uses kenosis, He is not saying that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity, but that he did empty himself of some of the privileges of his divinity. So if Paul says our attitude should be the same, and Max Lucado says that God wants us to be just like Jesus, what does that mean for us? To get a better picture, let's read most of John chapter 4 together. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to uh, his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then skipping to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the word of God. The author of this story, inspired by God himself, is John the Apostle, who likely wrote his account of Jesus' life and ministry long after the other gospel writers. The gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic the seen-together Gospels because of their shared content and their descriptive style. John's Gospel is in no way in conflict, but because of his more reflective writing style and because he highlights several stories that the, others, the other writers do not, including our story this morning, the fourth Gospel is not one of the synoptics. We learn at the beginning of chapter 4 that Jesus decides to head north from Judea to Galilee. But the route he chooses is not the common route for Jews. Rather than head east along the red line on the map uh, to the Jordan River, then north along the smoother, safer route, Jesus opts for the less traveled road, due, due north through rocky Samaria. Not only is the terrain rocky, but the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans has been rocky for a long, long time. After King Solomon's rule, the 12 tribes of Israel split into a northern kingdom of 10 and a southern kingdom of two. And the northern kingdom was soon conquered by the powerful Assyrians. And those 10 tribes ultimately disappeared as they intermingled over time with their conquerors and other neighbors. However, for those who eventually settled in what had previously been the northern kingdom of Israel, a mixed race people, uh, pieces of the monotheistic faith of the conquered tribes uh, remained, and for centuries, these people, known as Samaritans, considered themselves still followers of Yahweh. They knew all about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose gene pools were still alive and well within them, and they continued practicing their faith with a few alternative beliefs mixed in. The two tribes to the south, Benjamin and Judah, managed to survive assaults by the Babylonians and others and were able to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to maintain their historical identities. They thought of themselves as God's people and their Samaritan neighbors to the north as half-breed imposters. Which is why the Samaritan woman in our story says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John adds parenthetically, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
But this is where Jesus shows the woman and later his disciples and people like us today that the less traveled road is all about going to the people in the margins, to the people who are far more easy to ignore. Not only is this person a Samaritan, but she is also a woman, typically ignored by any male teacher, and her string of failed marriages and now shacking up with yet another man makes her even more of an outcast, likely why she's heading for the well in the middle of the day rather than in the morning or the evening so that she can avoid people. So maybe she's even uh, such an outcast that she's even beyond the margins of her day. But not for Jesus, who chooses the less traveled road to people like Zacchaeus and this Samaritan woman at the well. The same well where Jacob and Rachel met so many years earlier. And throughout their conversation, as Jesus sips the water that the woman gives to him, he helps her to realize that Samaritan lives matter to him. That marginalized female lives matter to him. And even people with all kinds of relational and sexual sin matter to him. And the best way for him to communicate that message was to take the road less traveled so that he could be with her. In order for us to be more like Jesus this week, this month, this year, are there any less traveled roads in your neighborhood or in the city that surrounds us or maybe within your family or other ways and places beyond what is comfortable so that people in the margins Maybe people who seem much different than you can hear the good news of Jesus, the good news of the living water that he shared with this woman so long ago. In addition to taking less traveled roads out of our comfort zones, a second way that God wants us and helps us to be more like Jesus is striving to sit with and intentionally be with people, including those in the margins. Jesus helps the woman to understand that the God of the universe is not limited to the Jerusalem temple of the Jews or the mountaintop worship of her fellow Samaritans. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, regardless of ethnicity or gender or sinful pasts. He is the Messiah, the one God promised to her ancestors. And after she delivers the truth of Christ to the people of her town, they ask him to stay and teach them. So Jesus stays two more days. Unheard of for a Jewish rabbi and his followers to stay for an extended time in the heart of Samaria, helping many more of these people in the margins to become believers. I used to ask my high school students if they generally felt like they listened to people or if they more often were simply waiting for their turn to talk. And then I asked them if that was any different for the adults in their lives. Most of them concluded, accurately I think, that most of the people in their lives were waiting to talk most of the time. But if I pressed them, if I pushed them a little bit, Almost all of them could come up with at least one person who truly listened to them, who chose to be present with them. 
And that person was always one of their favorite people. Author, attorney, and Christian thinker Bob Goff had one of these people in his life. He writes, I don't know what high school was like for you, but it was a really tough time for me. I wasn't getting girls. I wasn't good at school. I wasn't good at sports. I had this GPA you could count up on two fingers. There was a guy that showed up in my high school. His name was Randy, and he had a motorcycle, a beard, and a girlfriend. I kind of hated him because I wanted a motorcycle, a beard, and a girlfriend. He was with this outfit called Young Life, and their idea is to reach out to high school kids and let them know about Jesus. I kept him at bay because that wasn't my thing. But he showed up at my stuff, and he really wanted to be my friend, and I really felt that was kind of cool. Well, school wasn't going that great, so I showed up on Randy's doorstep on a Sunday morning because I decided I'm out of here. I'm not going to high school anymore. I knocked on the door, and after a couple of minutes, Randy shows up. I said, man, thanks for being a great friend. I really appreciate it. I need to move to Yosemite and climb rocks. He looked at me, kind of puzzled. He said, Bob, when are you going to go? I said, well, now. And I pointed to my Volkswagen. He said, hang on a second. He disappeared for a long couple of minutes. When he came back, he had a backpack over one arm and a sleeping bag under the other. He said, I'm with you. I said, you're going to go with me right now? He just threw his stuff on top of my stuff and we jumped in the Volkswagen and we split. We got to this beautiful place and started climbing rocks right away. The adventure was on. I loved that he was just with me. Aren't adventures a lot better when you're doing them with someone? Somehow it makes quitting stuff not as scary when you're with somebody, right? It's okay to quit stuff. It's a beautiful thing. Just quit the right stuff. That's the trick. Sometimes we get it wrong. And that's the beautiful part about God with us. Emmanuel, right? He says that even when we quit the wrong stuff, he'll never quit us. He's with us over and over again. So we got to Yosemite Valley and we started applying for jobs. I couldn't get a job anywhere. I went to this outfitting store and they said, do you have a high school diploma? And I said, no, nah, not really. I went to a place where they made pancakes. I mean, like, who couldn't make pancakes for a living? And I got aced out there too. It was kind of a bummer to see a dream die. There's something beautiful about Randy and what he continued to say. And it was these three words, I'm with you. Randy didn't give me a bunch of teachable moments. He didn't say what a screw-up I was or tell me next time how I should fix it. There's something beautiful when you're with people. They just know that. Randy held me closer than a brother because he knew that I was a guy who needed to be held close. Who is somebody in your life that you need to be with holding them close? Well, we decided we would leave. Randy again didn't say much on the drive home. He didn't wreck it. We got back to the block that he lived on and his girlfriend was over visiting, I guess because her car was parked in the driveway. I followed Randy into the house. I kind of felt invited into his whole life. When I walked inside, there were a bunch of plates over here and a microwave and an osterizer and some wrapping paper. I was thinking, this isn't Christmas and I didn't think it was his birthday. And then the nickel dropped. On Saturday, Randy had gotten married. On Sunday, I showed up at his door. He didn't see me as a distraction. 
You saw me as a kid who was about to jump the track and who needed somebody to be with him. I love that of all the names that Jesus could have come up with for himself, he used the word Emmanuel, God with us. Who could we be like Emmanuel to? Who has God dropped onto your porch? You've got to decide. Are they just a distraction to me? Or are they what I'm all about? Find somebody that needs a Randy, a you in their life. Send them a message and say, I'm with you. Who is it that has been a great Randy to you? Call them up, send them a text and say, thanks for being with me. What I realized about Randy is that he'd been with me. He hadn't just been with me to uh, correct me or by having some Bible study, but he was just actually with me. I learned a lot about Jesus from Randy because when Jesus said that he was Emmanuel, he said, I'm with you. That's Bob Goff's story. But does your spouse, your child, your brother or your sister or your best friend, your coworker, need, to, need you to be more present with him or her this week? Is there someone you know outside of that immediate circle? Maybe someone who feels that he or she has been marginalized in the isolation of COVID-19, who might enjoy a safe visit from you or from me this week. Or maybe there is someone uh, that you don't yet know, that I don't yet know, who has been marginalized because of his or her race or his or her sins or bad decisions or something else. And we need to ask God for the wisdom and the courage to find him or her. Maybe along a road we have not traveled before. And then to listen and to speak truth in love. Finally, encountering Jesus still happens today. But often in ways that are in contrast to the American dream, which tells us that we need to be upwardly mobile to focus on improving ourselves so that we can achieve more success and power and money and stuff. But then we read in scripture about John the Baptist, who in the chapter before the one we read this morning says, Christ must become greater, I must become less. And on another occasion, how Jesus says to his followers, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, and that it's the last that shall be first. The humble path that Jesus modeled leaving heaven to take on flesh, emptying himself of, a, of privileges he enjoyed, enjoyed for all of eternity, putting people like the Samaritan woman at the well, and people like us before himself is not an upwardly mobile path, but it is the most meaningful one. I am the very proud father, stupid proud father of four teenage girls. And when they were younger, I wanted them to have a better sense of their privilege than I did when I was growing up and to have a bigger heart for hurting people than I did. So multiple times we baked cookies and brownies, filled plates, uh, covered with tinfoil and with a plate in each hand, we would wander urban Grand Rapids, talking with folks on the streets and asking if they would like some food. One time we ended up near Mel Trotter Ministries, and as often happens near mealtime, people were gathering across the street. My daughter Aaliyah, who was five or six at the time, still had one of her plates left, and she asked me if I thought a group of women nearby might like some cookies. 
And I said that they probably would. Then she noted, but daddy, they're smoking. And I agreed that they were. Then she said, if I go over by them, will I start on fire? Once I assured her that she likely would not go up in flames, she bravely walked toward them. And as she did, the women put out their cigarettes, cigarettes crouched down on her eye level and accepted the gift from her. And as I watched um, from nearby and wiped um, uh, a few dad tears away, it's still an emotional story, I was touched not so much by the blessing that she was to them, but instead of the blessing that they were to her. Because it was Jesus who said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. I was the one you visited and cared for. Yes, in that moment, my daughter was encountering Jesus beautifully and profoundly with these women uh, who were living on the streets. And they were encountering, and she was encountering the same Jesus who sat sipping water with a Samaritan woman at the well. Mother Teresa used to say, Jesus is profoundly present in the distressing disguise of the poor. And by his grace and in his strength, as we follow Jesus toward the poor and others in the margins, we experience him in new ways. And we get to taste and help others taste Christ's living water. What Jesus said to the Samaritan woman long ago, he says to us this morning, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for waking us up this morning and thank you, God, for the sunshine of this new day. Thank you, God, that your compassions never fail, that they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jesus, thank you so much that you are a God of encounters, unplanned by us visits from you. And I thank you for how you did that with Zacchaeus, with a Samaritan woman. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, how you continue to do that with people like us today. Help us, Jesus, to be more like you. We don't pretend that we can come close on our own and forgive us for when we think that we can. But uh, humble us, Jesus, as only you can, and then lift us up in your good time to do the work, God, that you have called each of us to do. Thank you for your gift of relationship, for how you allow us to be in relationship with you. And may that relationship, God, spill out uh, into the lives of the folks around us that we could love as you loved, that we could care uh, as you cared then and still care today, uh, that we could be ministers of your gospel, God, uh, ministers of your good news as you've modeled so beautifully for us. We pray for those uh, who are hurting, God, any in this room who feel like they're in the margins, any watching at home, God, who feel marginalized for one reason or another. May they know your love today. May they know your peace that passes understanding today. And just bring them, God, a sense of yourself and use people like us uh, to do that as well. Thank you for your gift, God, of this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.